Welcome. You are listening to Conversations from Christchurch Cranbrook. We are a faith community located in Metro Detroit who have been transformed by God's acceptance, love, and grace. Whoever you are, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith today, we pray this podcast will feed your soul and inspire your spirit. so blessed to have you. We know a bunch of you are joining us right now, and um, I'm excited to welcome as our speaker today, John Whitcomb, who is the Dean of Coventry Cathedral. And this is, as I said at the announcements, uh, one of the world leaders in reconciliation um, uh, worldwide. And we are so honored to have you, John. And then we also have uh, a major theologian of reconciliation, Michael Battle, who is with us as our theologian in residence. I hope that you all saw the video interview that we did with Michael as he was getting mm. himself sorted here. Um, Michael, we are so blessed to have you. And so what we'll do is we're gonna have Dean Whitcomb present uh, for as long as he wants to. Uh, and then we'll have, I'd like to have uh, Michael offer a bit of feedback or a bit of response. And then we will then turn to uh, questions, comments, and everything from all of you. Does that seem fair? Great. So as we are getting settled, I just want to thank you again, uh, John, for being here. Some of you might have remembered John came and uh, preached. Was it two Pentecosts ago? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that would be right. 2018 or 2019? 20, 2019. It was 2019, I think. Yes, yes. Well, we are so grateful to have you this way. Uh, uh, and we look forward to maybe seeing you physically at some point as well. So I'll just turn it over to John and to thank you all for joining thank us. You. Thank you so much, Bill. And uh, nice to see you, Michael, as well. I think we we were together at General Seminary. Um, uh, maybe, uh, yeah, well, that must have been 2019 as well, um, as my guess. Great, um, great to see you too, John. Okay, thank you. Um, so hi everybody nice to have you there and um welcome there's one or two folk that uh folk from cranbrook may not recognize so um most of them i think are from uh the cathedral congregation here so uh welcome to those of you that have joined us from coventry um that's i hope that from cranbrook you'll be encouraged that there are people from coventry who have chosen to um commit part of their sunday afternoon to somebody who they know reasonably well so i'm encouraged by that thank you for joining us and I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, I'm going to go into the presentation. So that means you'll probably lose the image of most people on screen, um, but you may just have a few just in a little uh, column down the right hand side. Uh, so I'm going to uh, pick this up now. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's good. Hopefully. Oh, I think actually I'm just wondering if that actually is. Oh, yeah. There we are. We're good. All right, so um, what we're going to do this afternoon is I'm going to take you through a little bit of our experience and a little bit of the theory behind it. Um, and then hopefully you will have some ideas about how you might take this forward in your own context. And I guess if I was to give a title to what it is that I'm hoping uh, you will take from this, it's how to use your own Christian community as a way a bit like yeast of trying to help our local communities to become places of peace and reconciliation so um, i hope that that um, that that makes some sense to you and as you are going through this presentation 
you're going to be thinking, okay, so what might this might what might this mean in my context? And I'm particularly looking forward, of course, to hearing what Michael may say. Um, uh, years ago, just by way of a very brief introduction uh, to me personally, um, 1980-81, I was an intern on the Upper West Side in New York City and living at General Seminary. Um, so that was quite a rich time. Um, was taught how to pray by Dean Alan Jones. Uh, well, became Dean Alan Jones of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. And when I got this job um, uh, here as Dean in Coventry, I wrote to Alan. I said, have you got any advice for a new Dean? And, um, and he said a really helpful thing. He said, be yourself and say your prayers. So that's my first tip for this afternoon. Be yourself and say your prayers. If you're going to fulfill the role that God has called you to fulfill in the world, I think uh, you could do a lot worse than that. So um, I've been attempting to do that here for the last eight years. And actually, we've had quite a lot of fun. So uh, here we go. Uh, so many of you will know something about Coventry. But for those of you that don't, um, we are blessed with an extraordinary building. And congratulations, by the way, on the success of your, I think, 12 million um, uh, campaign for your building at uh, Cranbrook, which is obviously very fine um, and in a lovely location. Um, we don't have perhaps such a great location in sense in Coventry that partly goes into our history, of course, because of the, uh, the uh, results of the wartime damage to this city. This is Coventry Cathedral today. Uh, so on the left, you have the ruins of the old cathedral um, uh, leading through a porch into the new cathedral, and it becomes a physical embodiment of the gospel, um, which is really important to everything that we do, because uh, just as we seek to lead people into relationship with Christ. Uh, as we lead people through the cathedral, we're leading them through the story of the gospel, through uh, crucifixion into resurrection. And so just a little bit more about that. Here are the ruins of the old cathedral. And sometimes we talk about those as a place for really embracing honesty. One of the real gifts, I believe, of all faith traditions, actually, um, but of Christianity, perhaps I would say uh, supremely, is our ability to hold both honesty and hope at the same time, or if you like, lament and hope in the same in in, two, in the same time, and I believe that's one of the gifts that we can offer the world as we hopefully, by God's grace, begin to emerge out of COVID, that we can manage to not get caught up either in lament or in a kind of vacuous optimism, but in the relationship of honesty and hope. And our ruins, we believe, are a place where you are confronted with the honest results of the devastating fractures that we experience in our world and in our own lives. Uh, uh, if you don't know too much about the, the cathedral, here is a brief clip. This is like a couple of minutes from our regional news broadcast in the Midlands of the UK. So this went out to probably, I guess, about five or six million people um, at the um, at the uh, anniversary of the Coventry Blitz, uh, which was in 1940, uh, in November 1940. So in November 2020, um, the, the media were quite interested in us and what we were up to. So here we go with this clip. Ah, no, we're not going up with this clip. It was working. You know that classic thing where it was working just a moment ago? And We've got some backup too, I think, right? Chris can- Yeah, well, we, we should can... do this. We can do a workaround. Okay. Um, so um, I'm going to just go into a different share just in case for some reason that is not working for me. Um, because um, 
Let's just do this. Um, and just let me know if you want me to bring it up. Oh, I see you're going to show a video. Yeah. I am going to try to show video. Okay. Yeah, but we're for some reason not getting that up there. Cannot play media. Why not? Why are you refusing to play the media? Okay. Um, so we are going to, um, I'm going to try one more time to see if we can get that up. John, um, when you when you're sharing your screen, uh, make sure you click the two bo boxes at the bottom. Um, there are two boxes at the bottom when you share your screen uh, yeah. to allow to allow video. So just make sure those are checked. Yeah. So the weird thing is that when I tried this before, it was um, uh, okay. So actually, I tried this before on a different machine because I thought this machine tends to be a little bit more stable. So I thought that it would be. Um, uh, I thought that would kind of work nicely for us. Um, but if, um, uh, Chris, if you can just be kind of ready to share this video and we might just go to your screen for yeah, a I've moment. Yeah, I've got it up and running if you'd like me to okay, go ahead. Okay, why, why don't you just share, why don't you just share this video and then we'll perhaps come back into my presentation. Okay, very good. Let's pray this works for me. Thanks so much. <laughs> Here we go. It's almost 80 years to the hour that the city of Coventry was heavily bombed in what came to be known as the Coventry Blitz. More than 500 people lost their lives. Covid restrictions mean there isn't a public commemoration, but the city's cathedral will remember the Blitz in a service on its website. Lindsay Doyle reports. We gather in the midst of the noise and bustle of the city to recall the events of 80 years ago. A service to remember the night 80 years ago when the Luftwaffe began its devastating bombing raid on Coventry. An 11-hour attack killed more than 500 people, injuring hundreds more. This evening, the service recorded at Coventry Cathedral will be streamed online, bringing people together as COVID restrictions keep us apart. It's 80 years ago today that this cathedral burnt in the Coventry Blitz and so that just captures us really and the idea of, of this space around me which had been so beautiful uh, going up in flames is, is almost too much to bear actually. The night of the 14th of November 1940 saw thousands of homes and factories flattened. So although the 14th of November is precious to us, the 15th in some ways even more so, because that's the day when my predecessor, Provost Howard, walked into the ruins. He looked around, he said, we're going to rebuild, but we're going to rebuild as a sign of hope and peace for all. And of course, that's a message that never dies. After the suffering, Coventry rose from the ashes and became that beacon of peace and reconciliation as important today as it was 80 years ago. Lindsay Doyle, BBC Midlands, Today Coventry. And there's a special programme on BBC CWR this evening, starting at 6pm. The programme will also be available on BBC Sounds. Thanks, uh, thanks, Chris, that's great. Um, and uh, we might just, we might do that a little, again a little bit later on. So, um, So then um, we make our way from the devastation, and that was what that news clip was just talking about. Um, 
uh, and particularly uh, the commemoration of the 14th of November when the cathedral was Oh, did we lose them? Burned through to the uh, Provostic house. Um, we rebuild, so we are, so we now rise with him. And in a way that became embodied in the new cathedral. And so uh, here is the new cathedral and we're back into this place of hope and then of healing uh, as you make your way through the building. What do we talk, what do we mean by reconciliation here in Coventry? Well, these are the three principles of the Coventry uh, uh, Ministry of Reconciliation. Healing the wounds of history, learning to live with difference and celebrating diversity and building a culture of peace. They speak to the past and healing the wounds of history was something which has been associated with us here for very many years. Um, learning to live with difference and celebrating diversity is about looking around us in the present and then looking to the future, building a culture of peace. And the image behind these words is quite a well-known image. It's a statue in the ruins of the cathedral, which is now called Reconciliation. It was originally titled Reunion and was created as an image of people finding each other again after the brokenness of war in Europe. People have all sorts of different ways of understanding reconciliation. Um, and we might want to explore some of the different definitions of that in due course. But this is the definition that I quite like to use. And if you were around when I came to Cranbrook two years ago, then hopefully you might have got something of you might remember this from then. Reconciliation, I describe as journeying together from a fractured past towards a shared future. Behind this, uh, those words, this is the Chapel of Unity in the cathedral on the annual Hiroshima Day. Uh, commemoration when we all uh, gather together across many different faiths and none, making these origami peace cranes. Uh, journeying from a fractured past towards a shared future, I think, can help us into many of the key uh, ways of understanding what reconciliation means. Um, it is a journey. Uh, it's not a static uh, thing that we try and experience. Um, together is an aspiration. Um, but we begin from a fractured past, whether you view that as, if you like, a chasm in the ground or broken bridges or broken relationships, something that's broken. And we journey towards a shared future. Very often we don't get there. Um, the perfection of reconciliations we'll see in a moment is in the hands of God. So it is, it's a journey of hope towards a shared future. And that's one of the key things about reconciliation. Reconciliation is quite different to mediation. Mediation is a way of kind of dealing with your difference, but you, but you don't, in fact, you rarely expect, expect to share a future on the far side of mediation. You know, you do your mediation in your divorce or, or, your, or your, uh, when your, your job, the relationships at work are broken down and you agree to go your separate ways. That's not what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is, is quite the opposite of that. It's about, it's about beginning to walk together. Um, uh, when I was with you, I may have spoken uh, on Micah 6, 8, um, uh, to, to do justice, um, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That sense of walking together is really significant for me. This is the first uh, of your Lenten series, I know. So I thought that we might have a quick look 
at, uh, at the word that's used for, um, for reconciliation uh, in scripture. Um, uh, there is a, a word in, in uh, as it were, in pre-New Testament Greek, hilaskomai, um, but the one that's more common is, uh, is katalasso, and that is the word that is picked up ultimately by St. Paul. But in the background of the New Testament Greek, if you like, in the secular world, it's in, it's, it is suggesting a, a movement towards one another, but it's something where you, um, you know that you yourself need to kind of be the active agent in reconciliation. You need to, uh, to take the step. And actually, when we come to reconciliation in, in Paul, in scripture, we find something which is really significantly different to that. Um, so um, uh, uh, there, is a, there is a word that's used just, just uh, once um, uh, in 1 Corinthians, dialasomai, um, but that's not perhaps the most significant word for us. The most significant word is this word katalasso and its associate uh, words katalage. Um, uh, Catalasso is what Paul uses to speak of reconciliation of people and God. And it's not a common word at all. Um, this slide actually records all the uses of it that we find in the New Testament. Uh, and it's only in Paul, but it's incredibly significant. And one of the things that's really significant about the ways that, way that Paul uses this word is that in contrast to its, uh, if you like, its secular images, the subject of the word, when Paul uses it, is God. It's God who is the primary agent in reconciliation, which is actually, once you sit and think about it, is really surprising, because you would think that it was we that put our, had put ourselves at odds with God, as with other people, and therefore it would, it's we that need to do the running back to God. And, and, and actually, if you look at the way we live our lives, so often it almost might... Um, might uh, I'm sorry the way that we do our worship it might look as if that's actually what we believe we put in place our our actions our our, our ritual activities um uh, but in fact it's God that's doing the running and most uh, fundamentally of course uh, God does the running in Christ so it's God that reconciles us to himself it's not that God. It's not that God waits for us to recon, uh, to do the reconciliation. God reconciles us to Himself, and then it's up to us to to share, to join in that piece of reconciliation that He has done. Let's just have a look at a couple of key passages uh, about that. So here we are in Second Corinthians uh, five verses eighteen to twenty, and this is probably well. This is for me the classic text of reconciliation. And one of the things that you should notice straight away uh, on this text is that um, in the two verses, 18 and 19, uh, one speaks of the ministry of reconciliation. It's actually usually 2 Corinthians 5.18 that we quote, but 2 Corinthians 5.19 speaks of the message of reconciliation. Uh, so what is the difference between the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation? If you want to just kind of jot that down for a moment, um, that's something we might want to come back to in the questions. Um, and a really neat thing that I'm just going to invite you to reflect on for a moment is of those two verses, which is the one that appeals to you more? 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Or in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and trusting the message of reconciliation to us. Uh, fortunately, we don't need to choose one or the other, but it's really worth noticing that they are not the same, that there's a bit of difference there. I wonder which you're drawn to. Um, so just in case we don't come back to this and just to kind of stimulate your thinking a little tiny bit, um, I always prefer ministry because I like the kind of practicality of that. Um, but then some people actually go for verse 19 because they like the fact that it talks about God was reconciling the world to himself, whereas in chapter in verse 18, it's reconciling us to himself. So verse 19 seems to almost have a greater reach. I, I you know, we, we do we, we don't necessarily serve the text to try and pick it apart in that way. Um, but it does help us just rec recognize the different facets. This is an incredible verse and uh, uh, a collection of verses. And verse 18 for me is really, I've always understood to be at the heart of my priesthood and, uh, and the heart of the ministry of the church. If I had to pick one verse that summed up the ministry of the church, I would actually go for 2 Corinthians verse 18. Uh, let's have a look at one other passage as well. Uh, I'll show you the whole passage in a moment. Um, but because it's a bit, uh, it makes the, the text quite small on screen just to pick out perhaps the key verses. Colossians 1, uh, 15, and then uh, skipping immediately on to verse 20. Verse 20, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to, him, him, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And again, some people really love this sense of all things. It picks up that idea of the world. In, um, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, but it makes it even bigger. And my friend and colleague, David Porter, who was uh, at one stage the um, kind of reconciliation here in Coventry, he used to love this verse and he preferred this verse, actually. He, felt, he, he quite liked to say that 2 Corinthians was a commentary on Colossians 1. Uh, New Testament scholars would tend to go the, in the reverse direction, confessedly, I would too. But as you zero in on these words, it helps you to understand the depth of what God has done in Christ. And, um, uh, and one of the, the fascinating things about this, about this passage, and this is brought out actually in Ralph Martin's uh, commentary or his book on reconciliation, is that those who have looked into the Greek behind these, these words in ways that I could not begin to do, um, have actually said that uh, what, what Paul is doing in, in in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, is he's quoting an ancient hymn. Now, we're pretty familiar with the idea that he does that in Philippians 2, yeah, um, uh, that um, Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. We often taught that Philippians hymn, but we don't always call this the Colossians hymn. And those who have looked carefully at these words have seen in it um, this wonderful kind of bringing together of Christ, he, and all things. So it kind of does he, all things, all things, he, all things uh, comes up in this in this little in this little list of verses uh, five or six times, um, and it's always partnered with this sense of Christ and all things. But if you know your Colossians, and I can't imagine that you wouldn't in Christchurch, you will know that the background to it was the Gnostic heresy and the heresy which somehow spiritualized Christ and all that Christ did, and so there was a sense of different layers of, of, of creation, 
um, and almost a sense that we needed to escape from this earthly kind of mundane layer into the more spiritual layer where Christ's salvation was really achieved and almost at his extreme uh, denying that Christ came in the flesh. Um, and so if you look into these words, what you see is that Paul has taken this wonderful, like a Christian chorus, really, what we would call in this country, um, kind of just singing about the relationship of Christ and all things. And he has just strengthened it by adding in some words of his own. And those are the words that I've put in here um, following Ralph Martin in square brackets. So the first thing that he does is he adds in the second half uh, or some verses, some words into the middle of verse 16. Um, really to stress that there is nothing that is outside Christ's lordship. It's not just all things, it's things visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. Everything is under the lordship of Christ. Um, and then he wants to stress that Christ relates to the church, the real church, not some kind of mystical body, but actually the real church. And then once again, in the second part of 18, um, he wants to re-stress that Christ is, has first place in everything. And then we flip down to the end of verse 20, and this word, the, this little phrase about by making peace through the blood of his cross is all, would almost have been an anathema to some of those Gnostic Christians in Colossians who wanted to, 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 to spiritualize Christ out of the incarnation. And the cross is the place where absolutely Christ em, uh, embraces the physicality of our life. So what we're getting from these two things, from the ministry and the message of reconciliation from Corinthians, and then into Colossians, stressing that the reconciliation that Christ achieves is absolutely rooted in our world, in our own experience, in our lives, and in our flesh. Okay, so um, let's, uh, let's bash on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop in a few more things, and then um, and then we'll we'll perhaps take a pause for some questions in in a while. How are we going to use scripture? So this is something which I just thought as I was pondering on what I wanted to say. I thought, you know, I'm just going to pop this in. And this is a story from South Africa. If you'll um, uh, allow me that, Michael, from your experience. Um, so when I was um, uh, in South Africa uh, way back in 2002-3, I can't remember exactly which. Um, I spent a lot of time around the country. Um, with people who had come through different traditions in the church. And I spent time with evangelicals um, uh, and, uh, and, they, um, and with liberals, I suppose, to put it in a, in a very short way. Uh, all of them actually at the time wanted to know what I thought about Rowan Williams as the new Archbishop of Canterbury. What they really meant was what do I think about Rowan Williams's views on same-sex relationships and on the basis of what I said about that, they would decide if I was one of them or when, whether I was one of the others. And, uh, and the truth was I had a bit of a foot in both camps. Um, so, um, and the evangelicals, broadly speaking, were known in the days of the struggle. Again, this is a really kind of cliched short way of putting it, uh, as being for reconciliation. And the liberals were known as being for justice. And it felt like it was really difficult to get these any kind of proper connection between these two. And I spent a month visiting with different people and traveling around the country. It was one of the best months really I've ever had. And right towards the end of it, I found of all things, a pastor in a vineyard church in Johannesburg who told me a story when I thought, my gosh, that is actually at least part of the key here. Um, if you remember, I said scripture, story and spirit. 
Well, he told me about how he, as the leader of the Johannesburg Vineyard, had been leading a Bible class speaking about the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he, he set out the kind of quality of the new Christian community from Matthew 6. And at the end of the, uh, of the first day, it was two-day class, at the end of the first day, a black pastor from Soweto came up to him and said, that was a fantastic piece of teaching, Alexander Pastor. Thank you so much. I can only imagine that your church must be a wonderful kaleidoscope of different people and diversity. And, uh, and it wasn't. It was, it was um, uh, an entirely white church in the days of segregation in South Africa. Uh, and uh, Venter said he went home and he had a sleepless night being disturbed by the spirit. And uh, in this uh, kind of green, that kind of image at the bottom right of that kind of green heartland, to the left actually is Grahamstown, above it though is the, is the um, by the bus station just at the entrance to Soweto. And, uh, and he came back the next day and he talked a bit more to this pastor about his context and his experience. And by the spirit of God, putting together the experience of a different context and the word of scripture and the stimulation of the spirit, what they did was that they started a new church, which they called Joetto, a, a bringing together of Johannesburg and Soweto, a mixed race church. And the, the, um, and the result of that at the time was that Alexander's white friends in Johannesburg couldn't understand why he'd given up the gospel and gone political. And, the, and his new friend, the pastor from Soweto, couldn't understand, his friends couldn't understand why he'd given up on his roots and climbed into collaboration with the white guys. But it became, I felt, a symbol of what can happen when we expose ourselves to scripture, to stories, from a, a context different to our own and allow the spirit of God to get to work on us. So that's something of what we try and do here in the cathedral. I'm not gonna um, uh, pause too long on these. Here are the values that we seek to embody and embrace at the moment. And I thought I'd then just share with you some of the things that we do particularly here in the city. Um, uh, we go out and we get involved we gather people in, we try and speak into the divisions in the church. Most significant, I think, uh, we, we try and open people's imagination. We try and draw people into what we call Coventry conversations about drawing people across different beliefs into an engagement together, learning to disagree differently in the words of Archbishop Justin and being ready to take risks. So you happy for me to carry on or do you want me to pause? I'm looking at Bill's face. I, I, think, it's, I think it's great what you're discussing. And I think if you can spend a few more minutes, um, I just wanna let everybody know, it's so wonderful to see everybody jumping in. It's like um, teaching one of those college classes where the back door of the class, people keep on coming in and having a seat, <laughs> which is really nice and exciting. Okay. Um, I think you should continue just for a bit and then and just talk a little bit. I as you were planning to just about bring us forward into Coventry today. Uh, yeah, but everything okay. you've done just to say has been magnificent and thank you for, for getting us started. Okay, bless you. Thank you, Bill. Okay, so here we go, Coventry today. So this is an installation we have in the cathedral called the table. Um, uh, and it became for us a really significant symbol. Um, and I just need to explain that. This is the, this is the origins of that, uh, of it was actually an art installation which was created as a very real practical symbol 
of everything that it meant to live together in this city of peace and reconciliation. And the first time I ever set eyes on it was here in a really horrible shopping precinct in downtown Coventry, where people were brought together from many different contexts and walks across the city for a shared meal, which actually had been created for us by some newly arrived refugees. And it became for me a bit of a symbol about what we can do as a church and as a Christian community. Um, uh, I haven't got the time to tell you the whole story of this, um, uh, and I may have done that when I was with you before, um, but the Coventry City Football Club is a club which has a very chequered history. Uh, back in 1987, we had our high point when we won the FA Cup in, in, uh, in the UK, in, or in England, I should say. Um, uh, following that, the club commissioned a new stadium. They massively overreached themselves, and before long, they were in significant and serious debt. Um, they couldn't manage the repayments on the stadium. They were about to go bankrupt. They were bought by a hedge fund. Um, owned by a, a, a fin a, a, an American woman with a Finnish background, and the hedge fund is called Sisu. And Sisu is a Finnish word meaning unstoppable. It's the word, it's the name for one of the ships in the icebreaker fleet that go around the top of Finland. So that kind of tells you everything you need, really need to know. And she's called Joyce Apala. Um, here she is standing next to me. Um, and uh, uh, so, so Joy, for reasons I've never understood, bought the, bought the football club. Um, uh, but before long, she got into um, she got into uh, dispute, and the football club by this stage were paying rent to the city council. Um, and she got into dispute with the city council about the amount of rent. And and to be to be brief, uh, who got who could get the match day revenues? Like all big venues, the way you make your money is by on your hot dog stands and whatever they sell in the UK, uh, greasy chips and and pints of beer. Um, and uh, and so uh, she took the um, because of this dispute, she took the team out of their stadium and they were playing away from Coventry. The first time I really discovered this was um, uh, one day I was in the back of the house, not far from where I'm sitting now. And I heard this incredible noise and I went out to the front of the house to find out what was going on. There were about 30,000 Coventry City fans walking through the center of the city, tying blue ribbons on anything they could find, you know, like tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, that kind of thing about tie a blue ribbon and bring, bring the, the, the team back home. And pe people came up to me and they said, John, you are the Dean in the Cathedral of Reconciliation. Can you do something? And I said, oh, what do you expect me to do? Offer a mass, you know, what can I do? So anyway, but then somebody else said, John, I've seen you, you clearly know the leaders of the city council. I've seen you talking to them. I think you've got a good relationship. I think if you invite them to a meeting, they'll come. I can get you introduce, an introduction to this woman, Joyce Sapala. Um, could you get to know her and invite both parties round the table? And so after a little bit of toing and froing without going to the full detail, but um, uh, I, I ended up hosting a secret dinner uh, in a in a in a in a private restaurant off the Strand in in London, we had the, we had Joy and her team, and the city council and their team round a table, and uh, there was this kind of key point where we said, okay, so um, this isn't working for anybody. What can we do? And there was this kind of everyone a bit pale, and then uh, and then one by one, I think starting with the um, with the chief exec of the city council, who's a very forward-looking sort of person, they said, okay. Um, yeah, I'm in. We, 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 can, we can have another go at this. And one by one, 
you know, it kind of became one of those things where once half the table had said they were in, then in the end, it came to joy and she said, all right, okay. Um, and so we went, okay, we've got six weeks till the start of the season. Well, we didn't quite manage it for the start of the season, um, but I think it was uh, maybe eight weeks and, they, and we were back in the stadium with 31,000 people and I was interviewed on Sky Sports, um, which was very amusing um, uh, because people knew a little bit that we'd been involved with the cathedral and, uh, and, uh, and, and they didn't ask me anything about the reconciliation. They said, uh, are you going to be praying for your team to win? So I said, of course I'm going to be praying for our team to win. And they said, yeah, but won't the other team, have, won't the other team be praying as well? And I said, yeah, but they haven't got a cathedral, <laughs> which was such a bad, unreconciling thing to say. Anyway, thankfully we won. Um, and, uh, and not long after it, I was, um, I was invited onto the local radio and uh, and to talk about it and i said well we had nothing to bring you know we didn't have resources i had to borrow money from the bishop to have for the dinner um uh um i said the only thing we had to bring to the table well was the table and actually that was really significant so lesson number one you have the ability to convene still i think we're really fortunate both in the states you still have that ability and and in this country it's not just taken for granted but if we invite people they'll come and we have to take risks i am very ill at ease around the whole world world of football i know nothing i i i phoned a friend of mine um uh just before i knew i was going to be on the telly about this uh who uh, knows quite a lot more about football than i do he's a good friend and he's a dean of a different cathedral um, I'm not going to give you the full quote because this is being recorded, but he said, you know, let's say flip, you know, flip all about football, John, say as little as you can and get off as soon as, as, soon as possible. And, and, and that was, I was felt uncertain. I've met, I went down to the hedge fund offices in, in Mayfair in London to meet the, 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 the owner to start with that. I felt ill at ease and uncomfortable. I, I, it was early in my days here. Nobody really knows how to do reconciliation. It's a very uncertain business, but I just had to step in there. It was the, it was the chance, if you like, back to that thing I started with, to be myself and to say my prayers and to do what God seemed to have put me here to do. So um, here we are at the table for a lovely kind of Da Vinci-esque shot in the back of the cathedral. So that was, oh, and a few more tables. We love to bring people together around tables. And this was something we did in collaboration with the City of Culture for um, the homeless and vulnerable and their providers here in the cathedral. Just to, just to pick up on that for a second, John, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a please. question that was raised, which is a good one, um, about uh, John Paul Letterich's concept of risk. And you yeah. just touched upon it there. So if you could say a little bit about that, uh, just to tie up a little bit. Sure, thank you so much. So, and it is often one of the things I say, which I think is, uh, which I come to towards the end. So um, John Paul Lederach, um, who as many of you will know is the Mennonite teacher um, uh, from, was, was teaching um, in the Chicago area, um, has this phrase where he says, you have never truly were engaged in the work of reconciliation until your own people feel that you have betrayed them. And it's that sense that you have to, you know, there were people, there were people in Coventry just to drive home the story from this, from this particular um, engagement. You know, people stick pins in this woman's picture because they were so 
anti her and what they perceived that she had done to their football club for me to be to be photographed standing next to her felt like a betrayal of the city to many people um, so to actually engage with the other you often have to step away from your own people and so it's not just stepping into a place that you feel uncertain or anxious about but it's a, to step into a place where you feel you're going to be criticized even by stepping into that place and 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 behind this story actually in the week between knowing that the match was going to happen and it actually happening i spent quite a bit of time on the phone to somebody else who also had a business interest in the club and he just kept phoning me saying john don't you dare say anything about reconciliation there hasn't been no reconciliation this is a bad person and so i got on one hand, people in the city very excited and very pleased and very grateful. I'd got other people who were still saying that I had betrayed them. And I still don't know what the story, what the truth is. It's a really uncertain kind of area. So Lederach's thing about you have never really engaged in the work of reconciliation until your own people feel that you have betrayed them, for me is a really helpful reminder that if it feels bad, it may actually be quite good. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank yeah, you. please continue. Okay, um, I'm just going to whip through a couple of other things. Um, we're very fortunate here in Coventry that we uh, that we have embraced this history of being a city of peace and reconciliation, and it's been and that's been affirmed by the city council back in 2013, and actually again just uh, at December of this uh, of, of 2020. Um, there are things, well, certainly in the in your wider kind of urban area of Detroit, which I think are quite interesting, which have a have a similarity, shall we say, to Coventry. We know that. I mean, you know, sim simply from the kind of death and potential rebirth of areas associated with the car industry. Um, the opportunities to embrace and recognize history, but then to use that history as a springboard for something new. Uh, it is something that ties our two cities together. And in fact, I don't know if you know this, and I don't know very much about it, but the city of culture, we have um, uh, actually starting now in May this year because of COVID, 2020 Coventry was awarded the UK city of culture um, uh, prize, which comes with quite a lot of investment. The city of culture trust are very interested in international partnerships, and they've established four partnerships for young people uh, with Bogota, um, I can't remember what, what the other three are, but one of them is Detroit. Oh, no kidding. The four is Detroit. And I don't know enough about it, but I, and I just kind of remembered, oh my gosh, you know, I meant to find out more about that. But there is a similarity. There's something going on which ties our cities together. So I'm interested in what you can do to help um, the wider urban area to embrace um, to embrace what could be its vocation. Here are just a few things that, that I found myself involved in. Interfaith, I think, is incredibly important. It's a real symbol these days. And this is a walk that I found myself involved with in almost what is a kind of like a cartoon set of people, very obviously from different faith backgrounds. Um, if you can see that the, um, my friend Jonathan on the left has got a kippah on his uh, head, which you can't quite make out there, but he's the leader of one of the synagogues in London. Um, uh, that was in the wake of the Charlie Hebdo attacks, actually, that we chose to walk through the centre of London. We're in Leicester Square, I think. Um, 
but here in Coventry, we hosted an iftar. Is that something you've done in Cranbrook? Yeah, we, we've done. Yeah. Uh, we've gone to iftars because we're we're partners with a local mosque that is sure. um, that is is substantial, and so we yeah. we tend to go to them. Yeah. And have you invited them to you? Oh yeah, we've gone. We've done a million. Interfaith. Uh, yeah, we yeah. do that probably too. Yeah. We when things are good, it'll be two or three times a year. We'll be yeah. together for prayer. We had quite a lot of fun with that. This one, um, it was the first one we'd done in the in the cathedral. Somebody said to me um, on a Thursday night, I was in a in a little event, uh, a, a, an interfaith event. Uh, John, I think we could do this. And then, as it happened that evening, I spoke to the bishop. I said, "Would you mind if we had an iftar in the cathedral?" Um, and he said, "No, that would be that would be good." And I said, "And would you pay for it?" And he said, "Yeah, okay, I'll pay for it." And then I got a phone call from this woman the next day. She said, John, I'm in 10 Downing Street. Is the answer yes to the iftar? Because it was just before Ramadan. And she said, David Cameron will mention in his pre-Ramadan greeting speech to Muslims in this country that you're holding an iftar in the cathedral. And so the timing, the spirit was with us, which was helpful because I was the, as I was there in the cathedral listening to these girls who were singing a kind of Muslim version of kind of our God is a great big God, uh, um, I think, and I was thinking, gosh, I hope this is okay. And I looked up at the at the tapestry, uh, which is a 70 foot high image of Christ. And I said, Lord, are you okay with this? And I felt that he probably was. And I said, well, if you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. And then um, just to go to a different example of, um, of how reconciliation has bedded itself here. Um, uh, we did not have a Coventry Pride March. Uh, for historic reasons. And then a friend of mine wanted to really start a pride march in Coventry. And the bishop and I are on different sides, not maybe far apart, but we're on different sides of the kind of watershed around same-sex relationships. And when I took this job, I covenanted with him that I would not platform and put him in a difficult position with his uh, sister and brother bishops. So I thought, I want to do this Pride March in the ruins, but I can't just say yes without, without kind of engaging with the bishop. So I, I, I wrote to the bishop, I said, look, I want to do this. And if you get questions about it, this is the kind of thing I think maybe you might like to say. <laughs> um, and I took our three priorities in reconciliation. And I said, these are all reasons why you must offer this space to the LGBT plus uh, community around Coventry and uh, to give him great credit he was quick to say yes and to see the priority of hospitality in this environment and that was really significant for us. Um, I'm not going to tell you the Orange Order uh, talk because I don't think we've got time. That's, um, because that's I, an incredibly important little vignette I mean yeah you know it's a, it's yes. a I think the it kind of thanks Bill. It kind of speaks to the to the power, the symbolic power of our places. If we um, if we open our spaces, which can feel exclusive, to people who have felt excluded, and help them feel welcomed, it's unbelievably significant. And I was telling that story actually to somebody a couple of years ago, who a, a young woman, part of a little artistic. Um, uh, Jiwa, who were coming to do some installation work in the in the ruins. They were not Christian. She didn't. I mean, I was just telling the story, and she literally started to cry because she found the kind of juxtaposition of the brokenness of the ruins, the brokenness of her own experience of exclusion, and then that story of 
of redemption so so compelling and i think i just want to say a couple of things about imagination Please. um and uh, chris if you could just get ready to just share a little bit of the dance because uh, the dance that this is a clip from um which we saw done in the nave of the cathedral um i think that the arts um help us to do something else which lederach talks about a lot uh, so he has a book called the moral imagination and reimagining a future in which we and our enemies uh, share, um, uh, if you like, a kingdom, the kingdom of God, is, is incredibly important. And you're never going to arrive at that place, I think, without a radical opening of the imagination. And that may be, if you're that way inclined, through kind of theory and argument, but for many of us, it's actually through the arts, and it's helping us to see the world through the eyes of another, or even through our own kind of guts, our own stomachs. That's what the arts can help us do. I love the way that Bill, I, I, I um, uh, it wasn't really, it isn't really trolling when you join somebody else's service, is, you, is it? But the way that you use poetry to kind of help uh, open up the meaning of, uh, of what you were trying to say in your address this morning. Um, this is, it's the kind of the way the arts take us into an engagement. So here are some of the arts things that we've done in the cathedral. This is a, a Lego model of the cathedral. Um, it's just kind of for the fun of it, really. Um, um, and we, we had uh, some lovely uh, Sutherland uh, paintings here, which just take you into the reality of the gospel. Um, this is a bridge illustration. And this was surrounded by that quote about stepping into the unknown, um, stepping into a place of risk which my friends who were involved in this installation that uh, found so compelling the letter at quote. Um, but then um, one of the things that we did in the cathedral was bring in dance. And I think we were very fortunate in doing this and we brought in a piece of dance, which was just about life and passion and coming together and breaking apart. And Chris, if we could just watch a little bit of this, um, that would be that would be great. And I'm just going to stop share so you can put it on. Hey. Uh, we'll just watch maybe a minute or so. Um. Uh, one moment. So I think this is probably the thing that I'm most proud of um, in my time here. Yeah, actually not that one. So I was proud of that one as well, but that's not actually the one I want. Yeah, that's the one I want. Thank you. 
okay um i'd love to watch some more of that but um uh that's we, great uh, but it is the most extraordinary um uh thing uh let's just get that there. yeah somebody was hoping that we would have seen chris harris dance that was uh, oh yeah well i'm boxes. so yeah but unfortunately um, folks, it's not that kind of show today but we'll be yeah disappointing um yes. oh, come on um yeah, there we go. Uh, so, I mean, we've done a, a bunch of different things in terms of the arts and bringing in theatre. We we've had we had poetry committed commissioned for the cathedral. Um, all of these things are, in my mind, um, fundamental to this work of reconciliation, which helps us to see the world in a in a different way. Um, what can you do? to open that imagination. I know that the arts are quite a significant thing for you in Christchurch as well, because you've got some extraordinary things in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the church there. And Bill, like me, you have predecessors who've, um, I'm not even gonna show you these things, uh, contemporary and, and, and modern. Um, you have predecessors who've been deeply involved in the arts, um, uh, but finding ways to collaborate with other local providers. Um, this was, um, again, that same, that same arts uh, organization that, that put the installation into the cathedral in an external uh, program called Bridge, which was inspired, at least in some parts, by those words from Lederach. I want when people come into, uh, come into contact with us it, for it to be a journey of imagination, a bit like the journey that people go on as they're going towards Tate Modern, um, which is a place where they won't understand any, everything, but they know it will take them into a new world. Um, if you know um, uh, Paul Simon's song, My Little Town, this is a verse from that, um, which communicates the same thing. Um, all of the colours are black. It's not the colours aren't there. It's just imagination they lack. Oh, you even, oh my gosh, you do get the music on my thing. I thought you wouldn't get that, um, but um, you might want to listen to that uh, in a little while. Um, oh, let's just listen to it for a moment now, just as we stop and pause. And we'll, we'll finish in a moment, uh, or I'll finish in a moment and you can come back to me. Um, I'm not sure if I'm hearing anything at this second. can't hear anything we can't hear anything but but oh no, no. no. so i've left you sitting there looking no, at it was that, a beautiful at that meditation i really okay. we had an opportunity it was really so good to have a bit of quiet and um i yeah, yeah i'm 
Okay. Everybody so, got uh, so quiet though. I mean, I did a contemplative prayer uh, class and we never got this quiet with our Zoom, but of course it could have been helpful. Oh, there you go. You button. Um, so here we are. We're just about kind of coming into land here, really. Um, I think imagination is, is, is a really significant thing in the work of reconciliation. Um, uh, sometimes if we just draw on our kind of religious texts, they don't always take us into the place that imagination can. But if we bring the two together, then it will take us into something really, uh, really profound. Yeah, let's not talk about uh, let's not talk about those. Um, here we are again, just a, a piece of artistic intervention at the cathedral. Uh, an angel made of reclaimed knives, hundred thousand reclaimed knives, handed in to uh, to the police, and it was um, uh, it was where we gathered around for our chrism uh, mass actually um, at the end of Maundy Thursday, uh, twenty nineteen. Next year, uh, in May, we're going to bring this sculpture from Tate Modern to the cathedral. I'm really pleased they've agreed to the loan. And it's a, it's a sculpture of Jacob wrestling with the angel uh, from Genesis 32, um, 33. Um, uh, uh, just a story of somebody coming to terms with his own past um, and, and with himself and with God and seeking to find a way forward. I suppose I, I think really that's, um, yeah, here we go, here we are with courage. That's the place that I'd like us to, to, uh, to land. What can we do in our own wrestling and our own imagination, both to take ourselves forward and, uh, and the communities in which we find ourselves? Bill, I'm aware we're, we're at an hour. Um, uh, you've, been, you've been very patient. Um, we have got pretty much to the end of what I wanted to say. There are some kind of discussion starters, which you might want to come back to at some other point. But, I, but that's the question that, um, that I suppose I would like to leave you with in the church in Cranbrook. Can we as Christians open up the imagination of those around us to a shared home locally and internationally, especially uh, in an environment when faith and exclusion are, are so often partners? Well, thank John. This is such a rich starting for this conversation. We, I really want to thank you. And I really want to thank you for starting with your own experience and talking about the work that you do. Um, it's actually key for us to hear this because uh, in many ways, we've done parallel work in the last um, 10 years at Christchurch Cranbrook. Absolutely. Um, and um, I do think uh, something was raised in the chat that I'll just, just uh, respond quickly to before turning over to Michael for a bit of response is um, I do I do think uh, that work is is becoming uh, more difficult. Um, I think when the stakes were lower, you could have these interfaith meetings um, and and people joined in because so little was at stake. To give you an example, uh, when we were having um, some struggles over our refugee family, I hosted, Brooks Patterson, who is the country, the county executive, who is explicitly against um, any kind of immigration mm. um, and uh, was a defender of segregation for 30, 40 years. And I hosted the sheriff's department, the Department of Health and Human Services, all of the um, organizations that work with refugees, as well as the uh, Michigan State Police, which has special um, uh, responsibility 
for refugee resettlement. And they all came to Christchurch Cranbrook for a meeting. And I couldn't believe that I got Brooks Patterson to come into the door. Um, and he came in part because he knew that, um, that Donald Trump was going to end immigra immigration. You know, he, wow. had no, he had no reason not to come. So there he didn't feel scared, yeah, interesting. There was nothing at stake for him. So he came and he just had to smile and kind of respond. I think it would be a different conversation right now um, if we had that same consultation, just to be entirely, just to, to just name the elephant in the room, yeah. right? And, and so I think um, things are changing and, and, um, and we are gonna have to struggle a bit to, to know what it is to, to set tables and to build bridges again and it's it's painful but but uh i i believe often we find ourselves back at the beginning and so your witness has been really really helpful for us today um michael do you want to offer some words sure I, I know we don't have that much time but just want to to say to john so much that you are teaching us is what's going to keep this world um, alive. And I wrote a book in 2017 called Heaven on Earth, God's Call to Community in the Book of Revelation. And, and so many of the themes, your sort of scripture, exegesis, your way of understanding the incarnation um, and moving away from the ways in which we often talk about reconciliation as just abstract and then not having any way to make it relevant to the world is so important for us. Just a couple of things to say, and, and I know you, you probably, Bill, want to open it up to the congregation too. Just a couple of things I want to say that um, there is a, a beautiful image in Christian spirituality called the mandala. Um, it's an almond shape, and they usually use that in iconography. And what it is, is really the, the intersection of two circles. And what you said, John, in terms of what the church can offer the world um, is the ability not to be paralyzed in the face of tragedy and also in the face of celebration. Because mm -hmm. we, we want to be stuck, uh, obviously, in celebration. But oftentimes, we don't understand that our call is to go and be in solidarity with the afflicted. And this almond shape is a, this is what I learned in um, my, my spiritual direction section with Curtis Omquist, a brother in the Society of St. John the Evangelist, that Christ is calling us to move back and forth between celebration and tragedy. And your community of Coventry Cathedral is a great example of the mandala, moving between those who are paralyzed and those who are in great celebration. And, and lastly, I just want to offer up to you the, the, the wonderful way that we can understand reconciliation. And I noticed you didn't have time to talk about it, apocastasis. And to me, that's, that's the, that new church, that new world that we're all after. But we just have to be careful not to try to make this just a theory. And what's beautiful about apocastasis is that radical nature. And Origen is one of the church fathers who really made this concept important, so much so that he thought that even the devil will be reconciled. And so I think when we think of the continuum of reconciliation, we have to, on one end, <clears throat> not see it as some kind of cheap grace. And then on the other hand, we should not limit 
the infinite nature of what God can reconcile. And we have to be able to move between those extremes and hold on to faith, especially those of us who are in the pews, those of us who are in the community. And it's wonderful how you, John, and Bill are collaborating because both of you have such beautiful spaces to help people move between the paralysis and the celebration. And um, uh, Christchurch, you all are gonna get to hear more of me. So I'm, I'm gonna shut up and allow um, any other questions or yeah, and, the community might have. And just to say, Michael, I never knew that you went to Curtis Almquist uh, for spiritual direction. I did too. In addition to like knowing each other for 30 years, we, we seem to have had weirdly parallel moments. And the Mandorla, the whole thing about the two coming together, and if one loses, if, if they come apart, you, you go missing. You know, that self goes missing was huge uh, to me. So that's so beautiful that uh, to have that overlay with you. Um, and of course, what you said was so powerful. What, what's being suggested by Father Chris, and I trust him in, you know, it, it, implicitly, is that we go and do a litany. We do the prayers that we prepared, and then we'll have an afterglow. So some of you want to stick around and ask some questions. If that's okay with both you, John, and you, Michael, we'll oh. just do about, it's about five minutes to do the, the litany. And, okay. um, and Father Chris will be leading us with that. And then we'll, um, and I think is Pastor Manisha here? No. If she, I see her in the, if Pastor, if you can make yourself. I'm, I'm here, I'm here, but I'm in the church. Sorry, I was, I was. Um, could you and Chris helping. lead us in the litany? And I don't, um, think, I don't think I can because I'm on my phone. Okay, no worries. Then we'll have Chris lead us, and then you'll offer a closing prayer, and then we'll then we'll go into our afterglow. Wait, we just gotta unmute. There we go. Eric, Eric Linder, I'm gonna call on you because you're on my screen, and I know you're a lector, so I'm gonna invite you to do the readings. Uh, as we come up to this uh, litany. So, folks, uh, your your point your 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 uh, words are in bold, of course. And then we just pick one of the psalms, Eric. We'll pick one psalm and we'll pick one reading. You you can go with the first one in both cases. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Let us pray. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory to the, to the Father, Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Got that, Eric? Okay, here we go. You have been gracious to your land, O Lord. You have restored the good fortune of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people and blotted out all their sins. Restore us then, O God, our Savior. Let your anger depart from us. Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what the Lord God is saying. For God is speaking peace to God's faithful people. And to those who turn their hearts to God. 
Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Uh, okay, I've just picked it. God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sure of the reconciliation through the death of his son, we confess our sins to God and seek, for, and seek forgiveness for our part in the shortcomings of this world. Let us confess to God the sin and shortcomings of this world, its pride, its selfishness, its greed, its evil divisions and hatreds. Let us confess our share in what is wrong and our failure to seek and establish the peace which God wills for his children. The hatred which divides nation from nation, race from race, class from class. Father, forgive. The covetous desires of people and nations to possess what is not their own. Father, forgive. The greed which exploits the work of human hands and lays waste to the earth. Father, forgive. Father, forgive. Our envy of the welfare and happiness of others. Father forgive. Father, forgive. Our indifference to the plight of the imprisoned, the homeless, the refugee. Father, forgive. Father, forgive. The lust which dishonors the bodies of men, women, and children. Father, forgive. Father, forgive. The pride, which leads us to trust in ourselves and not in God. Father, Father forgive. forgive. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. God of unbounded grace, you declare the power of your reconciling love in the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us who live only in your forgiveness to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. Heal our divisions and cast out our fears. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace, mend what is broken, unite what is divided, live the gospel.
In the name of Christ, amen. amen. Thank you so much, folks. We're going to um, continue with a bit of afterglow, and then pa Pastor Manisha, you'll, you'll do a final extemporaneous prayer to finish us, as you always do when we do the afterglow. But for those of you who want to go, you can go. We had a wonderful turnout. I want to thank Margaret Sedgwick and Peter Wetzel and some of you that are obviously from Coventry because I don't know you. Um, thank you all for being here and we're so delighted to get to know you a little bit. Um, excellent art, Peter. Um, it looks interesting. Um, and we have some great questions that I'm going to just try to surface a little bit. And um, I, I, I think um, one of them came from uh, Alyssa uh, Downs. Are you still on, Alyssa? Do you want to ask your question by unmuting? Yeah, I'm still on. I can ask it. Um, so nice that you can travel as well. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the questions that I had is um, I was thinking about how in America right now, I feel like in our culture, we're very ingrained to be opposed to reconciliation. Like I feel like in the news, I'm constantly hearing about um, people being unwilling to forgive or make amends with people. So I was just wondering if reconciliation is encouraged in every situation. And um, also, um, Father John had been saying how there was this time where evangelicals were in favor of reconciliation and liberals were in favor of justice. So I was wondering how you choose between those two. Okay, so that's quite a. Shall I? Can I respond, Bill? Is that yes, helpful? Please. Um, so uh, let's just go for the second one first, just in uh, briefly, um, uh, which is about the kind of relationship between reconciliation and justice. So once again, I would really commend the work of John Paul Lederer, um, and uh, I, I mean, um, there's lots of different ways of, of approaching this, but um, what Lederer does is take Psalm 85. Um, 10, I think, um, yep. uh, truth, uh, where, and Lederach um, personifies um, truth and, and mercy, justice, and peace, and brings them into relationship with each other. And I think it's the best example of doing that that I've ever seen, really, um, because um, he helps, um, he, he, he makes it clear how each of those four players are absolutely necessary to build a robust future, which is shared, which doesn't simply repeat the kind of divisions of the past. You know, sometimes the argument about justice, fights for justice, uh, is that they, they can simply kind of, some, something is upside down, so it kind of turns it the other way up, which is which rights are wrong, but sometimes can introduce a new wrong if it's not possible to create a shared future. Um, and so I'd really commend his short book, um, which was originally um, titled uh, Journey Towards Reconciliation, I think, and now is just called Reconcile. Um, and so, I mean, in a way, it's clear that you need the two, um, but it's not, it's not an easy road, but, and that's why it's always a kind of a contingent thing. Um, so um, that was the first thing. And the, sec the, the second thing, the first thing I think was about um, how uh, the, the way that we've moved into society where, where reconciliation seems very difficult. I think that's, that's essentially, isn't it? And we're in a world which is beset by fear, of course, and where people are feeling insecure 
and uncertain and fundamentally not at home. So what can we do as Christians, um, particularly to help people feel at home, I think is one of the ways to respond to that. So, um, you know, I'm a kind of classic Anglican leader, which means that I was opposed to Brexit. I was, I was a convinced Remainer uh, in, the, in the British European context. Um, but it was really helpful for me to listen to others um, for example, in the east of England, in Lincolnshire, where there's a, a, a large number of European farm workers who come in, um, they come in without a sufficient infrastructure to support their life. They overwhelm local medical services. Um, they overwhelm all sorts of local services, actually. Um, so at one level, the economy depends on them, but at another level, there's not been the investment to actually sustain their presence in the community. Just to be really vulnerable for a moment, I go, I'm a member of my local health centre. I go down to my local health centre. I have quite a busy life because I'm a professional. And I go down there and I have to stand in line for 15 minutes behind somebody who is trying to explain to the receptionist um, or the exception, receptionist is trying to explain to them how medical provision works in this city of Coventry. And the person listening to her can't really understand because she doesn't speak the language and she can't really follow because she doesn't understand the culture. And so I find myself getting more and more cross. And before I know it, I'm talking about these people. And so then I have to kind of look at myself and go, well, you know, what's going on here? This is a, there's a sense of fear and insecurity. And so, how do you tackle that? Well, of course, in a way, one of I have a, you know, I mean, I'm privileged in so many different ways, but I have um, a spirituality which enables me to find a way of belonging, which does not depend upon somehow uh, excluding others. And that is something which we can offer, but it is offered to all. I mean, there's so many different ways. I'd, I would love to know what Michael, uh, how Michael would answer the question, but um, uh, um, that would be a kind of, Started. No, I, I don't have anything to add really, John, except just to um, maybe embellish a little bit about the South African story. And oh, sure. yeah. in South Africa, um, once uh, F.W. de Klerk was turning power over to Nelson Mandela, um, F.W. de Klerk was the head of uh, South Africa, the president of the National Party, um, the party of the Afrikaner. Um, he, the clerk wanted a reconciliation commission. And then for Mandela, who was coming out of prison um, and who became president, he wanted a truth commission. And so for Elisa, the, that's, I'm, I'm getting at your question in that sense that here is one side of power wanting a reconciliation commission, and then the other side of power wanting justice. That's another way of saying a truth commission. But thankfully for both of those leaders who ended up winning Nobel Peace Prizes together, um, they ended up with a truth and reconciliation commission. And there are truth and reconciliation commissions that preceded South Africa's and there are those that came after afterwards. But I don't think, uh, I would argue, there is no other Truth and Reconciliation Commission 
with keeping spirituality and politics intact. I, I don't know of any other one in the world that really held to the chair of the TRC wearing his bishop's cassock, leading politicians in the Lord's Prayer, as well as holding on to governmental sanctions and reparations and so on. So I think this is my short answer to what John was saying and to you, Elisa, it can be possible to have both um, reconciliation and justice. It's really lovely. You should say all of those things. Those are just wonderful uh, responses. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to another question that was raised in the um, in the in the chat. It's an important uh, theological question that Troy Dostert asked. So Troy, would you uh, rephrase it? Sure. Uh, so, so I was I was thinking about this in the context of reconciliation and atonement, yeah. and um, you know when I when I think of reconciliation, I always think of of that as involving the process of atonement that you can't have one without the other. Um, but but then uh, Father Chris had made a comment uh, along the lines of you know whether whether doing the hard work of reconciliation might be too challenging in some ways, and that you have to have a relationship based on trust. Um, before you can actually go there. Um, but then it seemed to me that then if, if that's the case, if that's the view we're going to take of reconciliation, then something pivotal is being lost. And I wonder if that's atonement. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but it, it, it seems to me that there's an intrinsic connection there. Um, you know, but I don't know if someone could elaborate, perhaps I'm, I'm just I'm just working this out myself. So. Uh, can I, I mean, I, that's a, such an interesting question because I thought when you popped the question in chat that it was, um, that you were simply talking about atonement of Christ, but I'm guessing that you're not really. Um, so that's, yeah, right. so that's, that's so interesting because clearly reconciliation is rooted in Christ's atonement. So, um, but where does any atoning work that we might do connect with that? Um, uh, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud, really. Um, uh, to what extent might I be expected to uh, bear the pain or the price of my enemy's uh, of my enemy's guilt? Is I guess a different way of of expressing what you've just asked. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, um, and I think. I, I mean, I'm sort of bearing, I'm sort of taking it a little bit into the story, Michael might want to pick this up, of somebody like Tutu, um, uh, and and the sense to which, okay, I'm, I'm just, while I'm kind of thinking about, I'm kind of having phrased it like that, I'd like to go away and think about it more, um, but I think that um, that kind of cost that we bear, a bit like the kind of Lederach thing, of the sense of betrayal that we that that um, that our that our own people might um, that we might feel at the hands of our own people or that's kind of involved in that. That's where part of that cost comes. So some of the cost that we bear in that kind of atoning work is is to is to take the painful journey from where we are and where we belong into the place where our enemy belongs, and there will be a cost in that. You know, I mean, that is kind of the cost that, I mean, 
that Christ bore on the cross. I don't know if in the States you used that thing which we used to talk about, the bridge diagram, um, which was a kind of an old fashioned evangelical way of explaining the, the price of the cross. But there is something of that when we cross the boundary into the territory of our enemy. Um, and uh, with all the risks and the pain that that, that, that entails. Um, and that is an atoning act, actually. That's such a great question, Troy, and I thank you for it. And I will continue to ponder on that. It's a great question. Michael, what, what is your response? Yeah, I mean, I think, Troy, um, among the atonement theories, and I actually teach a class um, on atonement theology, I think the one that um, is currently being taught um, that's become kind of faddish um, but I think it's from Rene Girard. He's a, a anthropologist, but a deeply um, spiritual leader. And, and I think I, I agree with John, there has to be a cost. And what, what Girard says is the cost is not returning violence. And because the only one who can handle violence is Jesus. So in some ways, I'm being a typical Anglican. I'm not going to separate our, our role in it from Christ. We are living in Christ. That's what happened in baptism. We took on our identity in Christ. And so uh, Gerard is teaching us that anytime we use violence, we are, we are breaking our atonement contract with Christ. Um, and another beautiful thing that Gerard said was, if you want to know the proof of God, and if you want another proof of Satan, it's around violence. He says any proof in the world in which someone or some circumstance is for you, advocating for you in any circumstance in life, that's the proof of God. He even he's more specific. He says that's the proof of the Holy Spirit advocating for you. And then Gerard says, if there's any proof of the devil or evil, it's any time violence occurs, whether that violence be physical, or as Jesus teaches us, whether it be the way we see the world. And violence is, is the sort of sacramental way of understanding evil. So I think the atonement theory to me um, that I, I really like what Rene Girard is teaching, and he's, he doesn't consider himself a theologian, he considers himself an anthropologist. And he says, just based on the behaviors around violence, we are encountering how God has saved us. Is you know, there a particular I, book that you would recommend where, where he sketches that out? Um, I think uh, Satan Falling Like Lightning. So, yeah, I saw Satan Fall Like Lightning is a great. Please don't do that. Don't mute me. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, wonderful, a wonderful book. The, um, Thank you. I would say just to, to, to pick up on that, obviously, um, you know, there is this curious line in, in Colossians um, uh, 1 24. Now I rejoice, Paul writes, that I am suffering for you, the Church of Colossia, that I fill up in my flesh what is lacking with regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So there's this incredibly powerful line where Paul thinks that his own suffering somehow participates in Christ's suffering for the church, which is something that eludes most uh, atonement theories. 
in the church because uh, we're not really sure what to do with that because we don't feel like our sufferings can um, can actually be uh, on the same uh, level as Christ's sufferings, which for good reason. Um, and uh, at the same time, when Paul says that, I think there is some kind of interaction between what happens on the cross with Jesus and the work of reconciliation. Um, and it, it is uh, the pain that is endured and the painful journey. I think the forswearing, you know, but forswearing from violence is another uh, that Michael has raised. I, I wonder if reparations or um, making amends or providing some kind of, of, of way of trying to compensate um, is part of that as well, even though with the understanding that none of those, those acts are gonna be actually able to, to, to measure up to the pain that has been experienced or the, the injustice that has occurred, but, but is a necessary part of it. Um, as I think, at least where my mind is going a little bit. Um, I think it's, I think if, I mean, I, I think just to go back into a previous um, thing, I did some work in atonement um, uh, around the work of Tillich and Rana. And Tillich, um, uh, it was the kind of thing about participation. So if Tillich, I love the way Tillich describes atonement actually, um, uh, though it's in rather old fashioned language now, as uh, on the cross, Christ participated in our existential estrangement. And what's what, what we now need to do is participate in his participation. Um, but if we to kind of bring that together with um, with the conversation we've just been having, what we sometimes have to do is to participate in the existential estrangement, the kind of fundamental lostness, if you like, of 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 people's experience in the world. And that's an incredibly painful thing to do. And I think speaks quite neatly to the quite neatly to the lack of neatness in reconciliation work, because quite often when you were involved in reconciliation work, it just feels really messy and really obscure and it's not simply transactional at all. But I think that kind of is is sort of connected in a bit with that that question about how we participate in in Christ's participation. Yeah. This is so wonderful, and I appreciate everything. I see a few, there's four new messages in the chat. I've been so focused. Um, Can I ask a question? Because I cannot, I cannot go into chat. Okay, go ahead, Shirley. Thank you. Uh, this is for Father Whitcomb, and I just wanted to know uh, um, maybe two reasons why you thought the dance was so extraordinary, because I may have been going in another direction with it. So can you just tell me one or two reasons? Okay, well, I'd love to know what direction you went in, went in with it. Um, so well, what, the, what, the, I, what the dance did, um, and I don't, it was very quite jerky on my screen, so it was quite difficult to know, I don't know how jerky it was on yours, but, um, but it took people into the kind of gut feeling of, of, of kind of passion relationships, I guess. Um, some people have perceived it as being uh, violent. I don't perceive it in that way, actually. And that's partly just to do with what clip do you pull out of a dance. And so what I actually pulled out was the piece that I happened to start filming on my iPhone when it was going on. Um, uh, and so I think it just took people into something of the emotion of our relationships uh, in a way that, isn't, that is not subject simply to a straightforward spoken narrative. Shirley, say a little bit more about what you were thinking well it it does tie into what i was feeling about it and that was the trust 
and faith that they must have in each other to have one another's back. You're going to be able to catch me. I trust that you will. Yeah. And, I, and that actually gets more and more profound as you watch more of that clip. And I, that's great. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, Thank nice. you. Thank you. Um, moving into, um, we had some other questions that came up. And um, I think these are, I think we, it's at, we're at 11.32. I, I, this is, the, the afterglow is glowing along. Um, why don't we covenant um, to go for another eight minutes? And then, no, one, okay, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Make a suggestion. Um, maybe we can curate some of the comments and the discussion and, and, and use that as jumping off points for the coming weeks as well. Keep coming back to these ideas. Having done a couple series on this now, we do keep coming back to these same uh, ideas and challenges. So yeah. it's really useful that we, we don't try to solve it all here, right? Yeah, we, and we can't, we can't. Although it, it's, good to, it's good to get um, certainly John's perspective on it, um, you know, because I do think, um, you know, there's, there's large questions that are being asked here. And I, I'm wondering, and this is my question for you, John, is um, oftentimes, um, so someone gestured towards the fact that was it, wrong uh given that the uh, michael's um girardian view of violence um was it wrong for the uh the british to anti-aircraft guns and the raf to try to shoot down the bombers and um you know I, it's an interesting starting point for that question that's the one thing we would ask you know that's a it's at that point um it's a funny point to ask the question uh, but but i also the, the deeper question i see here and I'm wondering if you could wrestle with a little bit, is it seems like um, we may find ourselves as a church that is no longer quite at the center of things, having to maybe be less concerned with um, creating universal statements about reconciliation. And maybe our work is to do more parable-like work in the community around us rather than assuming that we're going to come up with a totalizing discourse that can reconcile all violence everywhere, things like that. Is that, is that, I mean, is that a wrong thing to think about or are we loose, are we kind of putting on um, blinkers? Thank you. I think the, the bombers question is a really difficult one. And um, uh, I think it, it, in a way it goes back, it, in some ways it speaks to that question about which is more important, reconciliation or justice. Um, it's not an entirely different question. Um, as the bombers are arriving in Coventry, uh, um, uh, do you then shoot them down rather than allow them to bomb the city? And I think on, my honest answer is, well, yes, I would, because I, I'm not a pacifist. There were pacifist pastors in the city at the time. And I think they actually had a significant impact on the response to the bombing. So I've often asked myself, how was it that the provost walked into the ruins and didn't immediately talk about revenge? Why did he, where did he, where did he go to find the words of reconciliation? And I think that was in part in his evangelical formation, but he had already, that we were bombed on November the 14th, November the 11th, Armistice Day, is a really significant anniversary in this country. He had been preaching on that day of looking to a future of trying to work for peace with our enemies. And so it's a little bit like the place to start from often doesn't feel like where we are. It feels like it should have been then or it should have been in the future. Um, and then that, I guess, speaks to the second point, 
So it's not really an answer, I confess, but it speaks a little bit to the second point is that I need a universal narrative, which is the reason it's the th that's the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. And I have, I have literally wrestled with that question about whether it's right to believe in reconciliation, that the fruits of reconciliation speak to everyone regardless of Christian faith, for example, or is reconciliation actually only there for people that have come into a relationship with Christ? Frankly, I find it difficult to get out of bed in the morning and do what I do if I believe that, because I believe that what I do is to work for the good of the city, let's say. Um, but the manifestations of that may be quite small in quite distinct small areas. So it's not that I give up on the universal narrative. I have a universal narrative, but it will only manifest itself. I need to accept that it may only manifest itself in quite small places and small ways. I guess that, that feels like a bit of a hedge response. But. What about you, Michael? Sure. Um, just quickly, I'd say, um, just to set the tone of what I'm about to say, I, I'm a big comic book collector, and I love to um, live in those narratives when, when I know this omnipotent superhero sees this a single female walking down a New York alley, and I just love the notion that that superhero is not going to let her get raped or die. Um, I just love that. I'm, I'm, I love the reality that you know this power can always keep us from evil. I think that's the pretext of what I'm saying. But what, what I think actually happens is goes back to what John was teaching us that if we turn justice upside down to reflect the way that I want to see it, we are perpetuating the the turning things upside down. And I, I do consider myself a pacifist, even though I imprinted upon someone who's a just warrior. Uh, Desmond Tutu, is, he really believes in just war, like what John was, was saying about himself. But I, I was discipled more by Stanley Harawas, who did my PhD dissertation. I, he was my supervisor. And what I guess what I learned from him was that if we really do want this sustained shalom that we're after, we can't do things the same way, expecting a different outcome. And I also just know human development. We used to cut off our legs because we didn't have the knowledge, the medicines to stop whatever disease that was causing the ailment or the dysfunction in our body. And in some ways, that's an analogy to saying, you know, when we do shoot down those bombers or you know, in our next attack on U.S. soil, and we we just start slaughtering our enemies. We are losing the developmental aspect of, of of let's stop cutting off our legs. Let's figure out how to have to be in better positions to stop violence and to stop disease. That's beautiful. I want to go to Graham who's I think from Coventry, but I learned that Peter Wetzel is actually from London, but he has a map of Coventry. So I stand, but you're, you're, you're here from the other side, yes. I'm here from Coventry. Um, could I add in a bit to his discussion about the, the, um, uh, yeah, the acceptability of, of shooting down these bombers? Um, it's important to remember that it was not about 
nasty Germans bombing the poor innocent people of Coventry. Um, Coventry was not like that. Um, some of you may know the poem by Wilfred Owen that was included in Britain's War Requiem, where there's a, a, a verse which is sung by uh, one of the soloists, which says, be slowly lifted up thou long black arm, great gun towering toward heaven about to curse. That great black arm was built in Coventry. There was an armaments factory walking distance from the cathedral that was um, set up specifically to build those great big field guns. And the city of Coventry and the, and the people of Coventry prospered um, financially from that because there was a committee set up between the city council and the um, businessmen of Coventry to provide those armaments to the British government. Um, and they, they got some good um, financial deals out of that. They made money out of that. And that was only 25 years before the city was bombed. So Coventry was totally complicit in war um, and built those guns. Uh, the factory is no longer there, but the road is. It's called Ordnance Road. Um, and so, you know, uh, it was uh, Father Forgive was very well written by Provost Howard. I guess he understood that background. That's beautifully said. Uh, Sarah Allison, you want to add, add a, you had something that you wanted to add. Wait, I'm just going to get you unmuted. We have to just get you unmuted. So if you, if there's a way, uh, Sarah, you'll see over to the lower left, you can click on it to just get yourself unmuted. Your little microphone, the little line through it, you have to just click on that. Ah, I'm so sorry. No, we can't hear you. Well, I think at, at, at 11.42, we should probably close. Uh, this has been so wonderful that so many of you are here. We're going to continue next week. Uh, we're going to have Bishop Bonnie Perry with us as our lead off. And uh, Michael will be with us. Um, the uh, And we are looking forward to that. John, we will be following up as well. Uh, our hope is to maybe take some of what you said and put it together in a um, some kind of enduring uh, book or or um, a view of it. You did such a beautiful job um, to get us started in going back over not only the history of Coventry but also the theology of reconciliation. This was a beautiful, beautiful presentation, and we are so blessed to have you. and And just from the interaction that we had between our two congregations. Um, I think that God might be doing something. So let's just keep our ears open uh, and, and uh, open to some opportunities. We would love to, I can't wait for this pandemic to pass because we would love to come see you and we'd love to have you come see us and provide some kind of, of way of keeping together. So thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's been a real pleasure. And I'll certainly be here with you uh, for at least some of these uh, subsequent uh, Lent Sundays. So, um, oh, we would love that. Thank, thank yeah, you thank so you. much. And Manisha, would you please close us in prayer? Thank you so much. Uh oh. Let's see. Oh, there you got it. I don't know. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Oh, great. Well, I can't see anything. So, I'll, I'm just going to um, invite you all this. Uh, I don't know about you, but my my head is full and my heart is full. 
Um, and my soul has some purchase for the future um, in believing in things that seem impossible and in hoping for things that um, are only done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, I, I think I'm going to end with a benediction um, and say to you all that, uh, that you may trust that God is at work in you and that though these, these difficulties are so cosmic, the fact is that Jesus is the example of how a particular person just like you can absolutely do the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And may you be bold in your calling. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you all. Beautiful, uh, beautiful time. We'll see you next week, John and Michael. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, so wonderful to have all of you from Coventry or London or wherever. Um, thank you for making the travel. It was really uh, rest up and uh, we'll see you next week. God bless you all. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations at Christchurch Cranbrook. To learn more about our mission, worship services, and learning opportunities, please visit us at ChristchurchCranbrook.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Christchurch Cranbrook. We look forward to you joining us again, and may God bless you now and always.